Romans chapter 3 this morning. And let's start reading in verse number 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Father God, we're so thankful for the service thus far this morning. And I pray now as we finish by looking at your word, I pray that you'll speak. I pray, Father, you'll fill me with your spirit and you'll help us all to be filled with your spirit to hear and uh Just apply your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that is Easter Sunday. Thank you, Father, for that empty tomb. And I pray now as we think about some of the ramifications of it, that you'll just teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been studying for several weeks now the book of Romans on Sunday mornings. And so far that study has been just a bit depressing. And those who have been here would probably say amen to that because the first three chapters of the book of Romans deal only really with the terrible reality that we must all deal with. Our lostness and our depravity and our helplessness and our hopelessness. As a matter of fact, what Paul has been talking about, uh, this somber teaching, uh, it, it all comes now to a, to, to a head here in verse number 23 where we just read, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what he's been building up to, and now he summarizes it there for us in verse number 23. It's a dark reality. And, of course, we do have to consider that dark reality, don't we? Without Christ, we are lost. And without Christ, we are undone. And without Christ... We are headed for an eternity in hell because we're all sinners. That's what the first three chapters of Romans teach us. And God in his holiness hates sin and God is angry with sin. And therefore, his wrath is revealed from heaven and we must face that wrath. You need to consider that truth this morning if you have not and if you have not come to Christ. But now. We come to verse number 21 and those first two words. But now the great shift in subject is now upon us from the darkness of God's wrath to the brightness of his righteousness. But now his wrath has been revealed, but now his righteousness is revealed. But now the mood of Paul's letter changes from somber to joyful, from ugly to beautiful, from hopeless to certain. But now what has happened? What has happened to cause this change in Paul's tone here in Romans chapter 3? And I think the answer to that question is what we've been singing about and praising God about and celebrating here this morning. Easter, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and that He was seen. But now, because of that... Everything is changed. But now, because of that, hope is restored. Heaven is open. Salvation is attained. But now, 
because of what Christ has accomplished, the wrath of God is satisfied and the righteousness of God is revealed. We who were lost and under the wrath of God can now be declared righteous, justified by faith in the completed work of Christ on the cross. That's what Paul's talking about in this section. So let's think about it just for a moment. Think about what he said here in some of these verses. He said, but now we can be justified. But now we can be justified. Look at verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and then rose from the dead, some astounding things took place. Some wonderful opportunities for you and I came into uh, into being. The Bible describes these opportunities in all kinds of ways and with all kinds of words. We can now be saved. That's one of the words. We can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We now can be redeemed. The songwriter said, redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. We can be redeemed. We can be born again. Jesus said one time, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. It's a requirement. And now it can happen because of what took place on the cross in the empty tomb. We can have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We can have that now. But here in Romans, and several times in Romans, it's one of Paul's favorite words in Romans, we see the word justified. Or justification. Or just. Indeed, we see it in the very theme verses of the letter. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The Jew first, also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just, the justified, shall live by faith. Justified. It is a wonderful word. Justified. It's from a Greek word that literally means to declare righteous, to put right with, to show to be right, to acquit, to set free, to justify. Notice what it means. It means that you can be declared right. You can now be declared righteous. It does not mean that you become righteous. It means that you are declared Righteous. It's a legal concept. It's something that takes place entirely within the mind of the judge. In this case, that would be God. It is an acquittal. You and I are guilty. And there is no doubt of our guilt. Paul has made that plain for three chapters. And those who have been here for the last eight weeks would say, Amen. We're pretty, we're pretty convinced. We're guilty. And he says it again in verse number 23. All have sinned. And because of our guilt, we have no hope of walking away from the judgment of God with any other verdict than guilty. And yet for the Christian, when the gavel falls, the verdict is not guilty. Not guilty. See, that's justification. Regardless of whether we're guilty or not, the verdict is not guilty. The verdict describes what happens in God's mind. And in God's mind, he says, I quit. In God's mind, he says, you are justified, not guilty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. What a great word. Justification. 
justified. But there's another great word there. Did you notice it? That's not the only wonderful word in that verse. There's another one. It's beyond belief. It's beyond human comprehension. It's the word freely. Did you notice that one there? Freely. Justified freely. That's another wonderful Greek word, which means simply as a gift. Without a cost. For no reason. For no purpose. Freely. We're not declared righteous because of some merit we bring to the equation. And we've already seen that we're plainly guilty. Without any merit. We're not declared righteous because we carry some means of paying the debt that we owe. No, not at all. I have been known, in my younger days, to exceed the posted speed limit from time to time. I know you don't believe this when you look at my innocent face now, but it is true. And I have, therefore, had a few run-ins with various law enforcement personnel along the side of the road, and one particular time, at least, I recall, that unfortunate behavior landed me in a courtroom, and I found myself standing before a magistrate. How do you plead was a question that I heard. And then came the sentence, and then the fine was levied, and then that slow and sad walk to the little window where I wrote my little check, or cash, I can't remember what it is now, and paid the fine and walked away free. But see, here's the deal. In God's courtroom, there's only one plea. The plea must be guilty. And we find we don't have sufficient funds to pay the fine, even if we wanted to. It's an infinite fine. We cannot pay it. Jesus told a parable one time. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, I have, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. The master acquitted him. The master did not acquit him because the servant could pay the fine. On the contrary, the fine was impossible to pay. We might not see that in our English Bible. That number 10,000 to them meant infinite. It meant it was an impossible number. It was the largest number they could conceive. It was a Googleplex. It was an impossible number for them to possibly pay back. And so he simply forgave it freely. Freely. That's how he forgave. And that's how we are justified freely. Not because we can repay, because we cannot. Freely. Not because we deserve acquittal. We do not. Freely. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling freely. And so we can be justified. Now we can be justified freely. Let me share one last thought. Now we can be justified because the penalty has been paid. The penalty has been paid. Notice verse 25. Verse 25. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. That word means satisfaction. That word means atonement. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Let's return to my little courtroom scene for a moment, could we? 
you know the scene that arose from my youthful transgressions. There I stand before the judge. The police officer has presented his evidence to the court. I have exceeded the posted speed limit and I have no defense. How do you plead? Says the judge. And guilty is the only truthful answer. But before I can squeak it out of my mouth, the judge whacks down the gavel and says, Not guilty! Before I can even reply. Now that would have been pretty cool if it had happened that way. I assure you it did not happen that way. But it wouldn't, it would have been cool, wouldn't it? At least it would have been cool for me. It wouldn't have been cool for the people who were standing around. Because you know what? There would have been some who would have been standing around who would say, ah, Well, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not justice. And their sense of justice would have been a little bit piqued, wouldn't it? Because we have in our hearts and minds an inherent understanding that crime requires punishment. That justice requires that wrong be made right. We understand that. We all know justice, that, that, that the God's sense of justice requires a payment for sin. A holy God who is just cannot just wipe it off the face of the earth without there being some kind of dealing with it. Justice demands that anything less is unjust. Anything less is unfair. You may remember another trial that took place a few years back. A fellow by the name of O.J. Simpson was on trial. Remember that particular trial? Accused of the brutal murder of his of Nicole Brown Simpson, his ex-wife, and in what some might call the trial of the century, which was played out across television sets all across our land. All the grisly details of that thing were played out. We all watched. We all participated in that courtroom drama. And then came the day when the verdict was supposed to come down. And to many, 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 many people, myself included, there seemed only one possible verdict. And so we were glued to our TV sets, waiting to hear the gavel fall. Guilty. Guilty. And the gavel fell. Not guilty. What? All across the land, people were amazed and thought this unjust. Because it seemed certainly true that justice had been violated. It didn't seem seem fair. One more time. Stand with me in my courtroom. One more time. Hear the question from the bench. How do you plead? One more time, look into my puny little mind where the truth of the situation is demanding that I respond guilty. And before I can do it, before I can respond, something different happens this time. Now somebody in the back of the room stands up and they say, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? And so he motions them to the front. And suddenly I find myself standing beside this other man. And this man says, Your Honor, I just came from the clerk. And I have here a receipt that shows that I have paid his fine already. His crime has been paid for. It is finished. Nothing else is owing. The judge takes the receipt, looks at it, puts it down, drops the gavel. You're free to go. You see, that is justification. That is what Jesus did for you. That is what Jesus did for me. He paid our ransom. He bought our freedom. He took our punishment. He suffered in our place. And because of that, we are free. Our justification is free. Not because God is unjust and just overlooking our sin. Our justification is free. Because Jesus paid for it with His blood. Isaiah chapter 53, He was wounded 
for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He shall see the labor of His soul and be satisfied. By His knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For He shall bear their iniquities. All my iniquities on Him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus, the debt of my sin, fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. So we are justified in the mind of God. We are declared righteous. And no further payment of sin is needed. We are justified freely. And all of this is possible because of the very real events that took place on that Easter weekend. A very real man named Jesus died on a cross in your place, in my place. His dying words, it is finished, marked the payment of your debt. He paid it in full. He sealed it with his blood. The judge of all the universe looked at the receipt and was satisfied. He saw of the travail of his soul and was satisfied. And then that same Jesus who died on that cross rose from the grave To prove everything that he had ever said and promised and did was valid and real. Gloria Gaither wrote, An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Good words. True words. But I think we could shorten them up. An empty grave is there to prove. Full stop. The empty grave is the proof. Every claim Jesus ever made was proven by that empty grave. Every demand He has on your life is proven by that empty grave. Every promise He ever made concerning your future and mine was proven by that empty grave. This truth, the truth we've been discussing this morning, that you can be acquitted and justified and declared right with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross, He proved it by that empty grave. And now all you need to do is decide on your response. Your response. And some of you are looking at this passage and you're saying, what are you talking about, preacher? I don't see anything about a response here. Just talking about being justified freely. Well, let's read it again. Verse 21. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To who? To all and on all who believe. Not for everybody. Believe. Verse number 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of who? The one who has faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one thing you need to do about all this. You stand gazing this morning at the bleeding Savior hanging on the cross and you hear him say it is finished. You watch him die. Three days later, you stand outside an amazingly empty tomb and you see him risen and alive forevermore and proving every word that he ever said. There's only one thing you must do about it. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. Believe it. And you'll walk away from that courtroom justified forever. 